0: Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Delson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters. Mark Lepresti, managing director of Moneta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Mascioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of Institutional Prime Brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Welcome, B3 Nation.
1: This is Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 Eastern, a weekend special edition every Sunday at 5.30 Eastern. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Tweet out the space. Be sure to follow all of our hosts and guests when we have them on. Happy Amazon Prime Day. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about used car prices. we got whole theories on used car prices. Plus, you know, lots of Coinbase. Stock is going up guest, Gary Gensler, can't stomp it down. The public wants more. We've got a big show ahead. I'm looking forward to doing it with you all. Please remember to stick around for the Beyond B3, B3 After Dark show that hits at 6.30 Eastern time. Always a fun way for you guys to be part of it. And Mark, Verajet is offering not just a great way to travel, but a free giveaway. Who's giving away private jet rides other than us? that rob you know what that's it i i dare anybody to
2: find anybody else that's giving away a free ride on a pj and yeah that's exactly what b3 and Verajet, our sponsor and partner it's exactly what we're doing this is a company and full disclosure that we are big time fans advisors investors You've seen sometimes on social media posts of mine and John, uh, or even uh, Mr. Uh, Weinberg, one of the people behind B3, uh, flying on it with friends, family, uh, business partners. It is an incredible, incredible company that flies exclusively. The Cirrus SF-50 Vision Jet, this is a plane that famously has a parachute, not for the passengers, but for the plane itself. And every time that parachute's been deployed, Everyone has walked away safely. It also has an artificial intelligence-based landing system, should you not want to use the parachute, that can land the plane safely using AI in the event that your pilot is incapacitated. And we are giving away, it's absolutely right, a chance to win a ride on a Cirrus SF-50 flown by Vision Jet. We haven't decided the destination yet. It will possibly depend on uh, who wins. Um, Probably one of our more popular routes Uh, from uh, Upalaka, Miami, to to Bimini in the Bahamas for lunch, by way of example, or from uh, Morristown or Caldwell Airport to uh, Nantucket or the Vineyard, something very summery. But we are going to do it. And to uh, win and to be eligible to win, you have to hit the link and share your worst travel experience, not private travel experience, your worst travel experience of any kind. And I see that our fearless, fearless producer, has put that link up in the crow's nest, folks. hit it, smash it, join. And I've said before, we may even, depending on who wins, you may even get a market master in the co-pilot seat if you want. Maybe you don't. I don't know. You might not be into that.
1: But it's not off the thing. Mark, Mark's going to be flying that jet for you guys. You get Mark is a pilot. Um, hey Mark, random question before we jump into the the TradFi overview. Could you put parachutes on like big jets? Could could we have a parachute on like a seven thirty seven or whatever? I mean, is that? And thought about it, like is it just cheap? They it's like the seatbelts in the old days with GM. It just wasn't worth it. Could you actually parachute any plane down to the ground?
2: No, you no you can't. Um, you know there there are some basic things, and I may not be a physicist, but. There are some things that relate to weight and air dynamics and all that that make it impossible. This is an aircraft that was purpose built and in part specifically built around this incredible safety feature, um, and and you can uh, Google and see. Uh, video and pictures of of this thing being uh, deployed, and it's at 100, 100% success rate.
1: Um, it's uh, truly quite... What fun. a great... Uh, B3 Nation, you guys just put in your worst travel experiences. Heck, make them up if you have to. I mean, this is a, a fun <laughs> opportunity. So, Mark... We got we got lots going on, and I know we're going to talk about used car sales a little bit ahead, but 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 that's also part of your overview, as well as we got, you know, CPI inflation data, PPI data, jobless things, all kinds of stuff coming up. So you're looking yep. at the week ahead. What are you seeing? Yeah, well, listen,
2: um, we were very happy to see the market snap a three-day losing streak, as in, I think, in part, Rob, on the sneak peek into the CPI and PPI data, that's coming out tomorrow and Thursday, respectively. We also have the jobless claims for the week on Thursday, of course. But the market's liking what it saw, thinking that we might get continued good news from this additional inflation-related data flow. The Dow Jones closing up 317 points in change, just shy of a full 1% to close at 34,261. The S&P was up 0.67%, ending the day at 4,439, spot 26. And the NASDAQ gained just a little above half a percentage point to close at 13,760 points. I'm watching, as I mentioned on Sunday show, uh, we are at earnings season and yet again. I still have a Q1 earnings season decorations up. I have to put my Q2 earnings season decorations up now. We are watching big bank earnings coming out at the end of the week JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup. Some potentially interesting uh, news coming out from those bank earnings. Some investors actually thinking, that they are going to fare uh, less than less well. Terrible grammar. Or I should say that the regionals will fare better than the majors. We shall see. Factset, our friends there, the big time data provider, projecting that the banking sector overall will grow 14 percent year over year for this quarter or year over quarter other things that caught my eye today before i pass it on to dr j of course activision blizzard one of the major major bull home runs today based on a decision that district court decision uh smacking the ftc upside the head ruling in favor of microsoft's proposed acquisition of the hugely popular game maker this is a stock that was one of my famous bull calls rob you may recall Back at the end of the first quarter, the last time we had some interesting information on that deal, I always like I, I to sort of put the lawyer hat back on sometimes and like to try to see how these MA things are panning out by looking at the direction of these decisions and the judges and who's involved. And I've been fairly bullish on this being a deal notwithstanding some pretty significant opposition from the FTC that this is a deal that would ultimately clear regulatory approval investors betting hard on that outcome today the stock up almost 11 percent that deal is not completely out of the woods of course so that's what happened in markets
1: today and what caught my eye dr j how about you it's like we're having we're, we're having rug pull issues with dr j mark while we get his mic fixed. um yeah you've been big on activision you were big on it before what what just some people listening the market's bullish Right, the decision goes to an appellate court, right? And the appellate court—that's the Ninth Circuit. So they could go either way on this. You know, I don't know what your thoughts are, but does the market care? I mean, they're just going to respond differently if the market—if the court goes against them.
2: Yeah, well, well. So the, the market does care, but but just to clarify something, Rob, the FTC has the ability to appeal that decision, but it hasn't done so yet. Um, not a total surprise. Sometimes. Opposing parties in these things are sort of ready with the appellate papers because of the importance of the deal. We're going to look to see whether or not the FTC chooses to bring it to the appellate division. Of course, the Ninth Circuit, tech-heavy Ninth Circuit, given their location. The Northern District of California being the court that made the ruling that moved the stock today but yeah this absolutely go down and of course there is one other thing that stands in the way and that's our friends on the other side of the pond with the funny accents like our contributor rob nunn and that's the competition and markets authority the cftc's cousin from another mother on the other side of the pond that deal still has to clear cma approval in the uk but for the same reasons I think it's got legs here, I think it's got legs there. I think Microsoft buys this company, and the bulls will be rewarded. Looks like John's got his microphone. It does.
1: Welcome in, John.
3: Great to be here, Rob. Thank you. Um, that's what happens when you have too many things open on your phone at once. Um, hey, Rob. It was uh, a, an interesting setup for you know the readings that we're going to be getting, consumer price index. Um, as well as, uh, you know, some of the surges we've seen in crude oil, in natural gas. And I think all of us kind of understand the, the natural gas side even more, because Texas has just been hotter than the hinges of hell. And the instant on or additional power that they can bring on in almost every state is natural gas. And they've relied on that heavily. And that's why natural gas has had such a move in the past uh, basically 20 days or so. Uh, I think a good portion of that is just because of the strong demand out of Texas. It's not the only place, of course, experiencing very strong um, demand for natural gas. I mean, natural gas today, Closes out at $2.73, Rob, as part of our fantastic futures. That's up uh, about six and a half cents. Volume is 120,000 contracts. That is huge because the natural gas contract is one of the biggest contracts in terms of dollar amount that it controls of any of the futures contracts. So that's a ton. Um, And then, Rob, I'd love to pop around with you on some of these stocks like uh, Zillow. Um, The stock uh, is still nowhere near its highs when it was up close to $200 a share in 2021. Um, And then as rates looked like they might start increasing and then actually did start increasing, the stock crashed all the way uh, down into the 20s from that, which is a tremendous drop. But today, Piper Sandler uh, raised Zillow, symbol Z, uh, to overweight from neutral. Uh, They put a price target on it that was $20 higher than their previous price target, $42 to $62. Um, And Zillow basically moved up to about $51 a share. And that's uh, a, a very good recovery if somebody just got into it at the beginning of the year, they're up 57%. But if they unfortunately were into it when it was a triple digit stock, you know, at 200 bucks, um, this is just a recovery. This is not uh, a return to profitability uh, for that trade anyway. It's another interesting one, Rob, um Etsy, uh, basically, a Morningstar analyst came out and said that uh, he thinks the price target, he, because the name is Sean Dunlop of that Morningstar analyst, said that he thinks the price target should be at 167 The stock was just over $100 a share, so that's a very significant, almost 70% upside from here. And... He says that uh, basically their wallet share across a bunch of verticals um, is extremely strong, and he expects it to continue. So, Etsy didn't quite make a double-digit move, but it did make a strong move to the upside today. Some unusual activity during the session in that one, um, and this one I'm sure Mark or Alex could have comments on it because they're both huge car nuts and. WD-40, for all of us who have ever tried to loosen a rusty or a very uh, difficult nut off of uh, a vehicle, for instance, uh, WD-40 is one of the ways you make that happen, quite frankly. And uh, as Pete and I were musing on the uh, Rebel's Edge show at 1 p.m. Eastern time each day, um, they they are basically involved in lubricants of all kinds for heavy equipment, as well as, you know, just home appliances and so forth. Anything where something needs regular lubrication might be one of the targets for these guys. And as it turns out, Rob, that includes your toilet. Um, Not yours in particular, Rob, but uh, they have a product called 2,000 Flushes. And 2,000 Flushes, uh, as the name implies, is supposed to keep your toilet uh uh flushing clean and bright for two thousand flushes and so anything that makes something slide easier uh, i'll let your imagination run with that wow wow um wow. is is part of what WD-40 oh, don't. Right now, wd forty oh. does so right not right alan thinking w t oh I think the
1: possibly uses forty please everybody oh.
4: It's all I can think about right now, to be honest. With words thrown around.
3: Well, and that was about it from me, Bob. Uh, uh, just a very quick update for sh- uh, Shutterstock. These guys um, are using what Margaret Lepresti would call probably the two um, most uh, often used and misused uh, words in finance right now, and that is artificial intelligence. So Shutterstock has actually been working with OpenAI, the parent company of ChatGPT, since 2021 on basically using their images, using the photographs and so forth illustrations that they have on Shutterstock. I'm sure many of you have seen that little watermark when you go to grab something on the net, you're looking for an image, it might have a Shutterstock um, uh, watermark on there. Well, they hope to use AI to push those pictures, those illustrations out to a lot more people. And that was good for a double digit jump out of SSTK today. So John, just a couple of quick uh, round robin questions for you. So
1: Shutterstock is a smart move, right? I mean, if you're any big digital image library, you know, that's got maybe a little free use and a lot of people pay for subscriptions to, you know, to be able to use photos, that's really smart, right? That Shutterstock's moving into like realizing, let's just partner up with AI. We can't we can't outrun them. Let's team up. Are they, you know, is that like a smart
3: long term move? I think very smart. Um, you know, the stock wasn't up as much as uh, uh, AI was not up as much as Shutterstock was, but AI um, continues to just uh, drive higher um, today. It closed out with about a one and a half, one and three quarter percent, somewhere in that range. Uh, move to the upside, Rob, and when you look at uh, that one, you understand, as you said, uh, people are looking for uh, use cases with this artificial intelligence rather than going out and trying to create their own. They're trying to say, how do I make what I already do work better? Can I do it with less people and thus less salaries? Can I do it, um, as you said, with a better search engine, perhaps, for the types of images that somebody could see and then pay me, Shutterstock, to use. Yes. Uh, so I think it's a very smart. And one last one. I was going to ask
1: you about about um, WD forty, but we we took that one off the table now after the after the lubrication comments. But just you talked about natural energy. I mean, natural gas. And and Texas in the heat. Do you think there's a market for, you know, Bitcoin mining, everybody, right? Bitcoin mining, the great thing about Bitcoin miners is they can put that energy back into the grid if they want. They can go offline, they can rent it back in, so they can expand the grid. Is there a realistic market space for that where Bitcoin miners are able to, like, significantly offset the, you know, provide that additional energy in a way that, you know, natural gas does now, but especially in places like Texas? And is that something... It'll show up in, in like publicly traded Bitcoin mining stocks, maybe?
3: I would be shocked, but Alex would be the better one to ask about that. I I would say that the fact that they are fairly energy intense on their use of energy and the fact that generally those computers require a lot of cooling would mean just the opposite but i'll let alex
4: comment on
2: it but you know what john before we let alex jump in because only because i want to see if if i'm wrong about this i think the other problem is the grids are not friendly to it if you look at places like california they're making it harder and harder for you to put energy back even if you're a private citizen with a, the tesla power wall or something else in your house because they're making it very unfavorable economically, disincentivizing, frankly speaking, people and companies from having the ability to put the power back to the grid because they're they're you, they're paying the absolute least rate possible. So I think that it's the reasons you just mentioned, in addition to the fact that the grids, unfortunately, and we have a very complicated, dislocated system of grids in this country there's not as many people are surprised to hear there's not one national power power grid we've got texas with ercot that's its own thing as of many things in texas its own thing we've got pjm up in the northeast we've got a whole bunch of other grids and it's only because i used to know some good energy traders that i know all of this crazy stuff but the system's really not set up to support it not the additional concerns
1: that John, I think, Rantley points out. Alex, messily, yeah, John, and I have this Alex, right? Right. Because listen, Todd, I want to say before you you do that. The reason I ask the question is because I've heard Bitcoin mining miners and maximalists insist that they can, you know, that they can buy, they need to buy up power, but it's easy for them to turn it offline temporarily and then put it back on. So, to what Mark and John are saying, are the Bitcoin miners just trying to sell a, a, a kind of a good story that won't really work?
4: Yeah, I, I really don't see it as efficient. Mark's 100% right. I mean, one of the basic principles that was really a fundamental to the business model was selling the energy back to the grid. And the prices have just been a race to zero, right? And there's, there's a lot of re of uh, of energy going back from solar panels bitcoin miners you name it i don't know i think mark would know better than me i don't know if there's a glut now of energy i mean that would be a wonderful thing as opposed to the uh, roving uh, outages of california back in the enron days but um I, I don't know that turning it off is 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 the plausible or efficient way to go um but i still think it's a it's a good business model i mean at least Vanguard does right Vanguard just snapped up 10% stake in uh, publicly traded Riot and has, I think, over $60 million, uh invested uh, between Riot and Marathon. So um, business models working for some of these big asset managers uh, on the fringes. Interesting. Well, perfect segue into your
1: crypto overview. By the way, you're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces Tuesday, Thursday, and a Sunday edition, 530 Eastern Time. Follow us at Get Riv Radio. That's where you're getting this from. Tweet out the space. Follow all of our speakers as well. Alex, what's the uh, and, and look we'll bring you in too, what's the uh, what's the story in crypto? Is it is
4: it is volatility still low? no i mean as much as john and Jerry and where's that hat bring volatility or make volatility great again it's uh it's not coming into the equation another quiet day for the blue chip of crypto bitcoin's down a half, a per- half a percent kind of boring on 13 billion dollars of trading volume uh which is down 11.8% we are expecting price to slip a little further in the short term on bitcoin um but ethereum is acting nearly the same just down over a point Modest 5.3 billion trading hands, volume down 21%. There, uh, overall crypto market cap is sitting at 1.19 trillion on less than 30 billion being traded. Um, but overall tweet volume is up 55% versus average. So that's uh, that's a notable. I will say, even though it's a mixed uh, green and red day on the uh, charts here, um, it, it's been a pretty good month for uh, the trade the chain. Uh, desk and by that i got some notables for the month which we've covered aggressively multiple times including serum ticker srm uh serum's a high performance low latency decentralized exchange or dex as the people in the know like to call it with a fully on-chain central limit order book and matching engine it's up 100 percent for the month but losing steam as daily trading volumes dropped by nearly half versus average. Uh, I will say we took some nice profits from that one on the desk after we started covering it here on the B3 show a month ago. So that we've mentioned uh, and covered multiple times. Compound Finance, this is like kind of my favorite for the month as far as long position alpha. Um, And by the way, when we go to Nick, Nick will cover some of the short opportunities that we've had on the desk uh, with Perpetual Futures. Uh, But Compound Finance, ticker COMP. We've been the most vocal on this sticker for the last month, bringing it up uh, during numerous bulls, bears, and blockchain episodes. Compound is one of the OGs in DeFi. Uh, starting out in 2017, mainnet launched in 2018, first to experiment with yield farming with the launch of Comp in 2020. It literally kicked off the DeFi summer that year. For those of you that were around, DeFi summer lasted about, oh, a good 80 or so, 90 or so days of just pure alpha. Um, The DeFi lender is up 148% the last 30 days, hasn't shown any signs of slowing down, even after its founder and CEO stepped down at the beginning of the month, Uh, tweet volume up 395%, trading volume up 133% on the day. We're we're still playing this position out a little, um, and we're going to see what we can squeeze. I don't. I don't see that we'll, you know, we'll be in the trade very much longer. We've been in it a good good amount of time already, and taking profits uh, is always a good thing, so never cry over that. Verge, uh, ticker XVG, it's a, de- it's a decentralized privacy-focused open-source coin. Uh, it offers various levels of privacy and payment transactions via the Tor network. And here's a fun fact, Rob. Uh, It was launched way back in 2014, and won a lot of coins back then. It was originally named Dogecoin Dark because of its privacy feature, obviously coming out after Dogecoin, Um, and it rebranded in 2016. Again, another one we've covered a month ago here for the listeners, and since then we've seen 358% upside in price action. Now, in all transparency, Rob, we took the second half of this upside, um, but it, it was a legendary trade nonetheless. We're looking for a verge to of cool off the teal sum as we go into the lesser trading volume period of some. good stuff. And that's all good, good stuff.
1: Ahead. Well, let me bring Nick in real quick. And Nick, I want to tease that we are later in the show gonna talk about the the Mt. Gox um refunding creditors, at least partially. For those of you who don't know, it was one time the biggest exchange, crypto exchange, and probably still is one of the biggest crypto uh, bankruptcies that's going to affect the price of Bitcoin we'll talk about that or maybe it won't but you know alex is talking about Bitcoin perhaps dipping a little more give you a quick number chart assessment and your you know crystal ball prediction on what you would be doing right now given given that
5: yeah appreciate you having me on Rob um so I actually while you guys were talking I was I, I kind of found something interesting on the charts um i was i was drafting up the monday range which is the low and uh you know the the peak to trough of the monday session so you know when monday when monday starts when Monday ends and everything's been trading extremely technically we are actually in dead center of the monday range as we stare down cpi tomorrow now what does that mean that means that there's a lot of indecision right now on the charts a lot of people are betting on both bull and bear and anticipating of the big data print tomorrow. And I'll be honest with you, at this moment, I'm, I don't want any piece of it. My ideal trade heading into tomorrow is longing around the 30K level, hopefully up into 31, potentially 31.5. So will I get my ideal trade? I do not know. But what I do know is that traders are sparring on both sides of the spectrum, and I don't want any piece of their battles until we tag one level or the other. So if I miss out on the long on a good CPI print, I'll look for shorts around 31.5K because we know that's been the high of 2023. And breaking above that will take a serious, serious uh, injection of capital into the market. Therefore, unless we break that cleanly, I'll be looking for shorts up there. And if we tap 30K before CPI prints tomorrow, I'll be looking for longs down there. Awesome. Great, great insight, everybody. Awesome. I love it, Nick.
1: Um, Marco Presti, Um, We got to talk about used car prices. So we had Tom Lee on um, last week, and he talked about how car prices are not adequately, you know, valued or appreciated for their role in understanding real inflation. So I guess if car, you know, if car prices stay high, then, you know, then that's not a good sign for inflation, right? What's happening with used car prices? And I love the way used car prices have become this important data point, but- there's a method to the madness behind it, right? Yeah. No,
2: listen, uh, that's absolutely right, Rob. And, and I, 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 I have to just pause to say to Alex and Nick, what an outstanding uh, crypto update. You guys, it's always right. It's always tight. Yeah, I really enjoy listening to it. Um, so well, kudos to them. Um, but yeah, listen, this is something that, as I think I mentioned on Sunday, uh, commenting on uh, Tom Lee's guest appearance on last Thursday's show where he particularly and specifically called out used car prices and that being a very important print going into this fairly data-filled week and data all relating to inflation. And this was a pretty big number, right? This was, first of all, uh, they fell for the third month in a row, which is important this 4.2% drop in used car prices that were experienced in June that was reported today was the biggest drop single drop in a month since the peak of used car prices, which was in around April of 2020, which was of course, you know, during the the, the COVID pandemic. Right. Um, And so why is this so important to your particular question? Used cars are 12% of the core CPI, core goods, right? Um, 3.335% of the overall CPI number. So any significant downturn in used car prices are considered highly disinflationary. What does that mean? That gives the Fed more reason to maybe do what I am not predicting they're going to do, which is give more reason to pause, more reason to consider maybe not hiking two more times this year, 50 total between now and the end of the year. JP Morgan coming out with a report just after this print came out this morning saying they expect this trend to continue even further. The Mannheim Index, which is the used car price index that we're talking about when we talk about these numbers, are predicted by JPM to fall another 5.7% in September. So if you're in the market for a used car and you can hold out driving that clunker between now and the fall, it's probably a good idea to do so because you're going to be able to buy – even more value pricing in a month or two. Uh, Markets, of course, right now, penciling in basically uh, almost certainty for a 25 basis point hike at the July meeting coming up in just a couple of weeks here. But the real question remains, what do they do in September? And that's going to be determined largely by the rest of the inflation data coming out this week that we covered at the top of the show. And any other unanticipated
4: inflation-related data indices between now and that meeting. But Mark, you're still sticking. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, Mark. I I I like my regional bank stocks. I bought three cars at the top during the time period you mentioned. It hurts. It really hurts. We've got WD forty for you,
1: Alex. Um, <laughs> Mark, are you still sticking to your uh, September? Going to get a second hike in September?
2: You know, um, I don't know that I ever said September, Rob, what, what I've said from the, from the beginning, or but more precisely since the June FOMC uh, meeting and um, release of the minutes, that we would see two more 25 basis point hike prints between now and the end of the year. Um, so I don't, I don't know that it's going to be September. I think July, I think we are looking down the barrel of 25 basis point hike at that meeting coming up in two weeks. Not sure right now what's going to happen in September. We we could see another pause in September because that's a lot of runway between now and the end of the year if we're only anticipating a total of 50. And that's where I'm still sitting is at a total of 50, right? So that would mean a lot of additional pausing between now and
1: the holidays. Since we just do our quick roundup, John, Alex, you want to weigh in with your vote on, on, on what months we'll get the hike?
3: I think we'll get July. Um, I've been swayed into that camp, but I still think they're making a mistake doing it, Rob. And uh, if they were truly data-driven, they wouldn't make that move. But I think they think that their credibility is on the line. And with the UK doing a 50-bit hike just uh, 10 days ago, I think they're hell-bent on um, keeping the pressure up and alex can I, yep. rob can i can i ask a quick question to john
2: what john do, do you think that they really pay that much attention to what goes on over at bank of
3: england um i only do because yeah we both know that the inflation over there mark is not quite but almost double our inflation um so obviously if uh if they're paying attention to that which i think they do um, they don't think they can influence that inflation, but I think they see another federal uh, agency, in this case, the Bank of England, uh, acting aggressively. I think they worry about again their credibility since they were so late to start moving rates up. I think they're now loath to be early on the the pause and or rate cuts they're chasing the dragon alex you want to weigh in because you know you got
1: you you had your double double rate boost prediction coming i think
4: yeah i mean uh you know i'm i'm 50 50 on july 100 on september obviously nothing in august um i you know i would like to believe that uh we do follow the 50 uh, basis point hike uh as the bank of england did but the thing is, is that it, it, we're seeing we're seeing us uncorrelate from peer pressure. So I'm 50 50 on July. There you have it. The experts
1: have spoken. Happy Amazon Prime Day to everybody. How does it be? How is Amazon Prime Day become a thing? I feel like I'm in the, a bad version of the purge. It's like now we have multiple Amazon Prime Days and they're they're bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, right. I mean, they, they, they the numbers of people who take advantage of of the extra discounts that Amazon does over a couple day, 48 hour period is pretty high. Mark, John, when do you wanna weigh in on what it's gonna look like this year? And and is it just gonna keep getting bigger?
3: I would say it's likely to, Rob. Um, And if you look at the driver that it is for Amazon, um, you know, it was up another one and a third percent today. Um, we're not at the 52-week high. Uh, that's nearly twenty dollars, eighteen dollars higher than where we are. But we've been steadily climbing. I mean, from a March 10th low around 90 bucks for us to get to 129 today, which we did breach 129. This is AMZ, and of course, I'm talking about the parent company. Um, turnover was modest only because, I mean, 50 million shares is a lot, but it averages 62 million. So I say modest because I think people are waiting to hear, Rob, how well certain things sold. And one of the things that kept popping up on my feed, even though I'm not looking for either headphones or iPads um, or or the watch for that matter, I'm perfectly fine with mine, uh, I was getting inundated with Amazon Prime Day specials on the watch, which was 30% off of the list price, and most Apple products don't see much of a discount like that except from a day like this. Um, the iPad and the uh, um, various headphones that Apple sells were also on sale. and. Those are big ticket items, Rob. I didn't, I needn't tell you that, but I mean, you know, we all know you can buy a set of headphones, a, a good set of headphones for anywhere from 25 to 50 bucks. And Amazon uh, doesn't sell any Apple headphones that are anywhere near that, nor does anybody else sell Apple headphones that are anywhere near that price range. You'd have to go to someplace for used goods to find um Apple uh earbuds or whatever iBud Pro, whatever the new name is, um you'd have to go there in a used site to find those. So I think since these are big ticket items, the numbers might surprise people as far as the overall uh sales number, maybe not the numbers of transactions as much as and, the value of
1: that's those transactions. Mark, you've talked a bunch about um you know, when, when people will stop spending, they just keep spending. And you've also said, you know, you think people want to spend, I believe you said, you know, they want to spend on experiential things. Maybe they want to spend on travel, but these are mostly going to be product expenditures, right?
2: No, that that's exactly right, Rob. They are. And, and the real question for me about this is whether or not what seems to be widely anticipated of about a 12% year-over-year bump in uh, prime sales over last year's prime day or prime days. It's a two-day event, not a one-day event, notwithstanding the name. And it seems like most of the analysts on the street are looking for sales in that 12% uh, year-over-year increase range. So if you're looking at buying the stock, the question really is, do you think that that's priced in? And meaning there's not much more for it to run to the upside, but perhaps even more importantly, if they fail to meet that expectation, could we see the stock going in the other direction? So that's that's what I'm looking carefully at as it
1: relates to these Prime Day. Do you have a prediction on which of those two is likely?
2: I so look. I mean, my my prediction. I think it would be disingenuous relative to the comments that you made earlier, uh, where I've said many times on the show that consumer discretionary spending is going in the you know the negative direction. That it has to continue to go in the negative direction. So I don't know that I'm as exuberant as a lot of the street is with a 12 percent prediction. I tend to be an Amazon bull uh, as much for their non. Uh, marketplace-related business components like uh, AWS, uh, their cloud and data-related services. That's probably more of where my bullish sentiment comes from than where they are on the marketplace side. So I think, though, we would see this come into somewhere in the $5 billion incremental revenue range for Amazon out of this Prime Day uh, two-day special, which would represent around an 11% year-over-year um, increase uh, in terms of sales versus last year's Prime Day, and I do think that that's
1: probably largely factored in in car- terms of where the stock is currently. Right, being. they've already accounted for it, so it's not likely to do suddenly shoot up ten dollars after
2: two no, and, and it could do the. That's right. It could do the opposite.
1: Right. Right. And and we won't we won't really know
2: you know what the numbers are. We won't know them tomorrow because that's day two of Prime Day. And I don't. Maybe John knows. I don't know when they actually release the results. Those Prime Day results numbers. I don't think it's right away. I think we wait for that. Right, John? It's 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 delayed. We won't know it on Friday.
3: I would agree. We're unlikely to hear about it for a a, a little bit. But um, if they start running out of certain items, Mark, I think many of us would start imputing a price that um, uh, a beat if you will especially if it is for those big ticket items. Interesting. I'm going to go get me some more Air,
1: AirPods if you if they're so cheap. Hey, so let's talk a mass trad fight topic. And by the way, you guys, you are listening to Bulls Bears and Blockchain Twitter Spaces Tuesday Thursday 5:30 Eastern Time at Get Rev Radio. We do a weekend edition on Sundays conveniently also at 5:30 Eastern. Follow us at Get Rev Radio, tweet out the space if you would, follow all our hosts and stick around. At six thirty for the Beyond B three show, where you guys, B three Nation, get to participate. Mark, you like to talk a lot about smart money and how you you know look at what smart you track the smart money to help understand better what's happening in the markets. What is happening in hedge fund bets on the direction of the dollar, and is that and it's obviously connecting to what the Fed's going to do next or might do next.
2: Yeah. No, Rob, That listen, that's exactly right. And, you know, um, I can't take credit for that, you know, follow the smart money phrase. I'm pretty sure that's the name of one of John and Pete's books. And I'm pretty sure that that's why it's lodged like uh, irretrievably into my brain. Um, and it, they're not always the right money. We call them the smart money. And I sometimes get crap from that from listeners saying, you know, the hedge funds aren't always right. And you're absolutely correct. They're not always right. They have been right more so than not so far this year. But this is definitely one of those indicators that we like to look at and take into consideration and in forming our own opinion as it relates to the trajectory of the market overall, right? And and what, what you're talking about, and this is data from our friends at the CFTC, so this could be part of the Fantastic Futures segment. And producer Patrick, we need to work on a good sound effect for that. Uh, we have it on the Rebel's Edge, but we don't have it here, and I'm very disappointed but I'll put that- What are we thinking? Oh like a chat line? It's like, oh, just kidding. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it, the, the, the the way that we do it on the Rebel's Edge, it's more of like a superhero, fantastic futures type of a sound effect. And it's it's a lot better than I'm doing it. But anyway, uh, the CFTC data is showing us that leveraged contracts are direct or indicating a net short position. And, that, and that's a pivot from a long to a net short position On the U.S. dollar, over uh, almost 21,000 contracts um, uh, being uh, put on in just the last week, where previously uh, they were net long. And this is essentially a bet negatively on the dollar, right? And that is a bet that indicates, if you're talking about what all this means relative to interest rates, that the Fed is maybe done with its rate hike cycle. Now, this is not an indication that tracks perfectly. This is a forward-looking indicator. So my belief is, and and John can disagree or correct me, that this is essentially a bet uh, on the part of hedge funds that we're looking at 50 basis points this year and no more. And that's why they're putting on this position as it relates to the dollar. Um, But it is a definite indication that the Fed is nearing the end of its tightening cycle and that the world has sort of caught up in uh, raising
1: interest rates to combat inflation. John, you want to weigh in on that since you did, you write a book called smart
3: money. I did. I follow the smart money. Mark is exactly right. And uh, so thank you for that, Mark. Um, and if, if indeed we are, Rob, finally mercifully at the end of a credit uh, tightening and in fact, go to an extended pause, I, um, This is the sort of action in the market that market watchers are telling you the market is saying will happen. There was a very, very large trade today, Rob, of the one day out. We talk every once in a while about zero days till expiration options. Well, there's a tomorrow expiring option uh, that was extremely busy in the SPY today. The s of course is the S&P 500 ETF. Um, it is uh, trading at, it was trading today at about 440 and 62 cents because the main index is 4,406. So obviously this is one 10th that size. Um, they traded 50,000 of the 445 calls. So that 5 million shares of the uh, $445 call, that's a big bet that whatever happens with our CPI print tomorrow, we're going to see a positive market reaction. We shall see. That's a big bet, though, and it's a bet that expires this week. This week. Get it this week. John, do you you think
2: that that was in part because of the used car price print we got today? It could have
3: been. It came later in the day, um, but it could have been, Mark. Um, the, uh, uh, it's, it's a very big bet, um, and who knows? Maybe they're also betting on, you know, we're, we're still in the time when Fed speakers are out there. Maybe somebody heard something from a Fed speaker at a cocktail party, and they put down a 50,000 lot to take advantage of it. But, but but given
2: given as we covered earlier in the used car prices and and by the way uh, to our listeners th- this is the kind of stuff that I, I really love breaking down for everybody because this is how we and other people that do this for a living try to understand all of this various basket of numbers to come to conclusions that are more often right than wrong and if we have this number that we did today in terms of used car prices being as disinflationary as it is and used car prices being such a large component of of the core CPI isn't it fair to think that that was a component of that decision to put a bet of that size on
3: yeah i think it is fair and you know the uh, gosh what was the the goldman reaction to that i think that you were talking about mark was that they think that it's got further to go um as far as the softening demand for those used cars and so forth, that would certainly be something that's disinflationary um, and could could uh, put the, the Fed on the sidelines for a longer period of time. And obviously, if they go on the sidelines for July, that means they're not back till September because of uh, uh, Jackson Hall. Well, we will. Yeah, and and not to not to put too
2: fine a point on it, but for our listeners, what we got today with used car prices is a piece of the number of the CPI print ahead of the CPI print, and and that's why this is so important. That's why we get into the weeds on these individual components because you're getting an indication, an inflationary, a disinflationary indicator ahead of the larger indicator that the Fed relies upon and the rest of the market rely upon so much as to where inflation is headed. That That's why we're you know, sort of beating that dead horse, because it's, no, it's it's a
1: big part of good, how it will be. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's beating a dead horse, everybody. I mean, you're listening to these guys break it down, and that breakdown is how they're looking at it, and that you, you are looking between the lines, understanding where these things are coming out, why it's significant, why the, the, the number is significant, also why the fact that it's, as you called it, a preview of the bigger picture, you know, the, the bigger print is is important. So I think it's great that, you know, Everybody listening, this is like getting the inside. This is what these guys are going to be talking about, you know, over stake. Um, we are going to shift to crypto. Alex, I know, you know, you and Nick have been waiting. We got a couple and we'll run a few minutes over. We do have the Beyond the TV show coming up in, in about 10 minutes. We'll go a little long with this so we can get all our crypto stuff in. Um, Alex, Coinbase, um, Coinbase stock is going up. So what? What does that mean? I mean, the investors are are saying it's publicly traded company Gary Gensler's you know literally on a mission to kill it. He doesn't seem to be succeeding. Is that what the the takeaway is?
4: Yeah, yeah you know what? I I just don't think there's a lot of confidence in what he's doing. But, you know, you know, the Coinbase saga is getting more intriguing by the day. I know that we've all discussed it here uh on the B3 show particularly with uh Mark's uh segment Uh, what is gary up to now which i do miss uh and i haven't heard john call him a poser in quite some time now um but yeah let's start off with what happened with coinbase stock today uh ticker COIN coin Um, Shares of Coin opened up today with higher than normal volatility, and by 9.56 a.m., it just was a rocket ship uh, heading to the moon. It hit its daily high uh, right before 11 a.m., up as high as 16% today to 91.74, before settling down around the 10% uh, area at market close. Um, But what's interesting about this is, is is This is due to the fact that Coinbase reached an agreement with the CNB, CBOE's BZX exchange to maintain a, a surveillance sharing agreement for five of its spot Bitcoin ETF applications. Now, you guys have heard us talk about the ETF applications, the nauseam, on a couple of episodes in the last, let's call it, uh, four to five weeks. Um, but, you know... <laughs> Coinbase may be providing these services to like really blue chip companies. You got uh, Wise, Virginia, Wisdom Tree, you have Vanek, Vesco, and you have Happywood's Woods, arc Twenty One shares. The thing is, is that they're being sued by Gary Gensler over at the SEC. But yet, all these guys are signing service agreements for surveillance sharing with them to be on the CBOE. Um, it's really, it, it's getting more fascinating. By the second to me and uh if, if gary g wasn't feeling the heat before from all the jokes along his way this definitely has to be embarrassing uh as far as i'm concerned um furthermore coinbase shares have risen 50 percent since the sec filed their case year to date i'm sorry filed their case and year to date 154 percent, which is telling me rob that investor sentiment on the other side of gary's legal case or at least is not considering it as a potential death blow and for folks that believe bitcoin don't want direct exposure to it buy some coinbase stock correlation to bitcoin is 0.92 percent out of one uh, percent uh, so basically they ride or die together um, or at least they have thus far uh, one additional note on the bullishness of coin stock as it goes through this sec debacle and yet all these big guys signing them up for uh, surveillance sharing firms Kathy Woods' uh, firm Ark, which I know Mark and John love to talk about, uh, has purchased four hundred thousand uh, coin shares since the beginning of June. Hasn't sold any yet. Uh, not a bad unrealized return so far. So it's interesting. I see Mark stand yeah, up.
2: But he- yeah, I, I got. I got to ask a question, um, Alex. And and look, I am certainly not rooting for the SEC. I am certainly not rooting for the demise of Coinbase. I am certainly not rooting you know, to be a, a Bitcoin uh, bear. But we saw a pretty massive sale of stock on the part of Brian Armstrong recently. What how do you how do you Agreed. factor how do you factor that in? That's that is traditionally a pretty freaking bearish indicator, in addition to the fact that the stock is as as up as much as you just accurately pointed out both since the sec started its case against coinbase as well as on a year-to-date basis does this thing like it it, could it even possibly go higher understand the correlation to bitcoin but like how could this possibly have more room to go to the upside and more importantly what do you make of the brian armstrong stock sale it was pretty massive
4: Sure. Well, I mean, so let's break it up into two parts there. One, the upside. Um, you know, the, the upside is definitely contingent on market outlook and what market performance is doing. So the better we, we perform in crypto, uh, the better the coin stock is going to perform. perform. We've seen it time and time again. Um, right now, there's a lot of people calling for, hey, we're walking out of the, the woods of a crypto widow right now. Um, and we're going to start going into a cycle or bull cycle in 2024. And if that's the case, then I do see, uh, room for, for higher growth. As far as numbers are concerned, they've pulled down some tremendous numbers, uh, for their earnings on revenue from execution fees as an exchange. Sure. They were light the last, let's call it 10 and 12 months, but that's because there is less trading done through in the bear market. As far as Armstrong selling, I'm one. I we're all entrepreneurs here. I believe all entrepreneurs should be able to have uh, incremental liquidity as they go through their journey of a company in the lifecycle. It does not mean uh, that they are they're against. What they are, what they've built. I think it's more, it's uh, reward for what they've accomplished. Um, number two, if you put down incre- a- incremental numbers, I believe one and and Nick and I discussed this on our trade the table uh, last week. Um, founders tend to sell local tops, uh, and that's what we saw. If you chart out his selling, um, Brian Armstrong has been famously selling local tops of the stock. Uh, two. He hasn't sold that much in, uh, against two different uh, metrics. One, the overall cap of the company, and two, against other institutional holdings. Right now, we're looking at about 9.2 million in sales uh, over the course of the last, I believe it's 90 days. So I don't see that as extreme, and I, and I do believe in his ability to get liquidity. He doesn't have a long history of selling any sort of large bundles of coin stock.
1: Hey, Alex, quick last question before we move on to to an interesting conversation. Um, Do do you think that Coinbase stock, based on what you're looking at, you're saying the market's sort of kind of going, these big companies partnering up, they're kind of going, Gary Gensler's wrong, he's not going to succeed, whatever it is. Do you think this is a short-term boost, or do you think that, that Coinbase's stock is going to, kind of likely continue to grow, d- despite what Gary Gensler does. I mean, you, you, you're regulating this, co- you're trying to squeeze this company with punishment, but the very people that it's partnering up with would be like, why would they partner
4: up if they thought that punishment was going to like shut down markets in the U.S. I said, John probably knows more, sorry, about this because he, I think he has a Gensler meter at home, but I think there's more members of Congress that want him fire uh, then people want him to win against Coinbase at this point. Um, in all seriousness, I, I see room for the stock to grow uh, based on uh, two things. There's an ET ETF... Uh, I think that's going to be a big deal, okay? As far as the excitement of a BTF being approved, I think that's been baked into this market for five years. So I don't see excitement in the crypto markets, really, except for the possibility of the money that's going to be available to buy Bitcoin. That's going to be exponential. The news cycle won't do it. But as far as CoinStock is concerned, a Bitcoin ETF approval will, uh, I believe, boost its shares. Um, And uh, two as long as they're able to keep playing along and battling Gensler in what he's throwing at them, I, I think sentiment is, is rooting for Coinbase. I'm rooting for Coinbase and I never liked Coinbase. Um, but I'm right there in the trenches with them, you know, in spirit. John is Gary Gensler. Can, can, can we get, <laughs> John? I was just going to say,
2: Rob, can we get, can we get John's, can well, we we'll get all we'll this be because young, I think we've Gary got
1: Gary Gensler's opposer. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Well, we know the answer to that. He is opposed And he's lucky to still have a job. Um, But I don't think it'll be long-lasting, and he might not make it through this administration even. So uh, if he were to um, really line up against uh, Larry Fink over at BlackRock or some of the other very, very powerful folks that have now put in for— because this isn't just, uh, you know, no offense to the Winkle twins, but who's, who do you think swings more,
4: uh,
3: uh, a bigger political stick in Washington? London? How do you hear you say no to
4: BlackRock, John? Yeah.
3: How do you say no? That's my point. So I don't think he can, Alex. Um, and he doesn't need any more enemies. So I'm with you. I think he's going to have to approve it.
5: Somebody, Rob, I, I wanted to hop in yeah. with a little bit of ad analysis on um, Coinbase versus the miners versus Bitcoin and, and the performance all the way around. Um, so to, to kind of put it in, in perspective, Bitcoin is a $593 billion asset, right? and Coinbase is only a 20.9 billion dollar asset. Riot's is only a 3 billion dollar or I, I shouldn't say 3 billion dollar asset, 3 billion dollar market cap. That market cap is what I'm discussing right now. So, when you compare the two and you say okay, Bitcoin's up, you know, 60-70% on the year, Coinbase is up 150%, Riot's up, you know, 400% plus, if you kind of just look at the market cap gains and then you also, you know, take take a step back and say, well, the the on Ramps and the off ramps have been shackled all the way across the board. So holding large amounts of crypto on-chain is risky. If you're thinking about, you know, comparing market caps and comparing the correlation of the two, Alex mentioned 92% correlation to Coinbase and Bitcoin. these, These stocks are almost like altcoins for Bitcoin. They're they're high beta altcoins compared to Bitcoin. So like alex said if bitcoin does rise into into cpi and after and continues higher on bullish etf news then i would expect these high beta stocks with lower market caps than bitcoin but also close correlation to continue to outperform so i just wanted to throw that out there because i thought it was interesting when you're looking at the the total market cap compared to all it's a really
1: it's really interesting insights from all of you guys let me I'm going to jump over something here. I want to jump to the to the Mt. Gox thing because it sort of kind of ties in a little bit, So especially when we're talking about Bitcoin pricing. So for those of you who don't know, Bitcoin, Mt. Gox was, I believe it was the largest at one point, Bitcoin exchange, and then it certainly was a major, major when it, when it was hacked – huge, you know, huge fail, probably one of the biggest um, bankruptcies. Well, not bankruptcies, but essentially, I guess they went bankrupt. So Nick, Alex, jumping into this, what's the the news is that they're claiming they're going to make at least a partial repayment to to people after nine years. What does that do for, I mean, these people watched all their Bitcoin go away, right? What does that do now? They're going to get a significant amount back that's going to put a significant amount of Bitcoin into the system. Right. I mean, it, it was, it was like 800, right. It was, it was, how much
4: Bitcoin was it? 850000 It was, it was 845,000. It was, 845, 000. It was it represented 4% of Bitcoin's total supply. Um, and uh, you know, in total of what was uh, taken, um, you know, listen, I, I love Mount Godch to the fact that that's how I got into Bitcoin at that Back then, uh, before this debacle went down. Um, but it's been nine long years, Rob. Uh, you know, these people were, you talk about the backups of 2022, which are, you know, going through Voyager has gotten settled in a year. Celsius may be settled in the next, you know, handful of months. Nine long years. These people bought Bitcoin. The, the Bitcoin, people bought Bitcoin under $100, okay um that's who, that's what they're they're getting back so my my question is and you know i have my own theory so my question is to nick and uh others in the group is you know listen we have uh we have 4.3 billion about to go back in the market i think it's around 100 and something hundred and fifty thousand bitcoin that's being uh dispersed back in um what can we expect uh, are we going to? You know, if I was one of those people, I'd want to sell. I see DJ and Max got up on the stage. I got to tell you, if I was handed hundred Bitcoin that I bought for less than hundred bucks back in and and was given it in October, I'm selling, and I'm you're not going to hear from me on spaces again. <laughs> well, what do you go? Well, go ahead, Nick. You want to jump in on that? And
1: by the way, just as a point yeah. of reference, the amount Alex is talking about is about what Michael Saylor holds. So on the one hand, it's a lot and individually it's a lot for the person who's getting that bitcoin back like Alex is saying, but it's not like that massive a part of the market as you know of the total bitcoin market. So how how does that play out?
5: Yeah, so, so there's a couple of perspectives on this. So so like Alex said, it has nine long years, a lot of O's in that long. Um, and, you know, uh, the people who wanted to recoup any semblance of their money that was lost with Mountain Gox has had the opportunity to do so through creditor claims and, and you know, private swaps in that fashion. So you have to think that a lot of the people who really needed the cash or, or need the cash, quote unquote, are likely already kind of or have already sold but you know we do have to understand that a portion of this 4.3 billion dollars as it stands at a 30k bitcoin price i should note so the dollar amount goes up if bitcoin goes up too um you have to imagine that a portion of it does go back into the market how you know how much buying pressure is happening in q4 around etf news or whatever to combat this you know we we do not know but some will go back in the market and one thing that alex and i will be tracking very very closely on the trade and chain dashboard is uh exchange Netflix. so if we see you know after this happens if we see large swaths of bitcoin being transferred onto exchanges then that's probably the signal hey maybe a local top is in. maybe we're, we're due for some selling so that's the metric that we'll be tracking around when these mountain gox coins get released to see if they go onto exchanges because when coins go onto exchange typically that's bearish when stables go on through exchanges typically that is bullish so that's what we'll be looking so it looks looks say yeah right now What's the one thing, the one thing I'll be interested in. You got to remember, this is way back in
4: 2013, man, and we, me, and and majority of people had no idea what the heck we're doing. And a lot of people who come to crypto over the last, you know, let's call it 24 months during the bull run, have still don't have an idea of what they're doing. Everybody will learn eventually, but I wonder how many, you know, hundred Bitcoin wallets there are that have just been forgotten that you remember they were bought, you know, for less than 100 bucks a piece. How uh, many have forgotten that those people are working nine to five jobs and probably have a couple of to them if they remembered what they were doing. Alex, I wondered if I had one. I was thinking
1: about it today. I was like, did I maybe buy one of those? It was just exploring Bitcoin. Dead serious. I was like, did I do one of those $100 things? But I think I had a friend who was like, just do it. It's $100. bucks. i will find out. I could be I could be very, very, very rich. Um, We got Josh from Works at Gemini. Let me bring him up. You have a, a question for us, Josh, or a comment on the combo. I see Max. Yeah, I see so Max, little. too. We'll get you in a sec, Max. Hey, no, I didn't have a specific question. Honestly, I'm just doing listening to you guys and, you know, getting feedback from the industry out, folks doing and things and whatnot. Um awesome. so you can hear I got some stuff going on in the background. So I'm not okay, myself don't don't here. So I wanted to let you in if you wanted. Max Gen, Max, I know you have a comment. I see your hand popping up there.
4: <laughs> Man, you know, this is like the,
5: the Degenist of conversations. But... Um, My the the amount of correlation that there was between like the people that utilized Silk Road and had their money among gags was super high. Um, so most of those people are probably either dead or in jail,
4: uh, (laughs) since they were super degen. Um, so I'm not that concerned about the amount of money that's actually gonna pop back up on exchanges, to be honest. Well, and, and Nick, to
1: that, you know, you're charting these numbers, and I guess the question somebody who's investing in Bitcoin, forget about the the people who get their lottery ticket, and like Alex said. A lot of them probably will be. Like I'm cashing a certain part of that out for sure. Do you think it's an it does is it not it's probably not enough to significantly move the Bitcoin price at all, even in its short term, right?
5: Well, I'll tell you what, if it, all four billion goes in and- <laughs> One or one weeks worth of U.S. sessions that that would be uh, pretty hairy for the market. I don't care how much buy pressure is going on. So I will say that you know if all of that went into the market, you know almost immediately, it would be you know I think a difficult time. But again, you know I think you know there's two again a couple points to make. A everybody will not sell. There will be some people that hold for for bullish hopes of an ETF and BlackRock coming in. Um, there, there will be a lot of probably market sells. We won't see you know too much t wopping as it's called in, in terms of you know placing uh, batch sales at uh, corresponding prices and, and amounts over a long period of time. Um, so you know I think I think really what it's going to boil down to is what is the news cycle and macro uh, fundamentals around that time. If it's looking like an ETF is coming, they're going to be selling into buy pressure. If it's looking like Gary Gensler is going to get his way in some way, shape, or form, or delay the process in any way, then that sell pressure may be met with just the general market. For Forces that are around at that time. So uh, it's very tough to make a call in terms of exactly what will happen, which is why we'll be very closely tracking both stablecoin exchange net flows as well as Bitcoin net flows. How much is entering and leaving? And Alex, this happens in a couple of months, right? So, what
1: if even half that amount gets gets in gets sold into the market? What, what if even half have it
4: happen It fell off flat? I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be staggered. And if even if you dump the whole four point six uh, billion into the market, let's call it over the course of twenty one days, uh, the mar- the order books would absorb it. Um, so you know, I and we're talking one hundred percent. Of people selling and i don't see that that situation happening at all interesting interesting take so bottom line
1: is this probably doesn't have a big impact on the price of bitcoin or the bitcoin market as a whole it, it's more about the people getting their money back
4: finally getting their bitcoin back worth way more than they start i think you just clickbaited us rob that's all you just clickbaited us with this cock with this title <laughs>
5: He's <laughs> looking for not I not was here. looking That's for a story and tell me we don't have one. Mt. Gox is nothing unless you had the hundred dollar but- wallet and then it's everything. I do think whatever dip comes around Mount Gox, uh, especially considering it will be Q4 as we're staring, you know, the 2024 dead in the face. I-, I believe I'm in. I'm in Alex's camp. It will be bought back quick, but that doesn't mean that you know ugliness may appear, may may rear its ugly head, as we say. So, great conversation, you guys. I, I know. Go ahead. Alex. I know we have to transition to to the great Julie Lamb,
4: um, uh, but I just want to part words with saying. You know, during the course of that time, as Nick said, there was a lot of creditor claims that were sold. I'm curious on I mean, who bought the large squats, oh. and uh, maybe we'll find Interesting. out. Interesting, right?
1: So that could happen again here, right?
4: Well, I mean, we'll see. But it was more advantageous over the last five years. So I'm curious to see who bought it. Whether it's uh, institutions. Uh, Governments, uh Michael Sale or, or and maybe you,
1: Alex. Will that all be apparent? Because when they will, will that be clear after they start? After they start giving, will it be obvious.
4: We'll. We'll never. Those were all OTC deals. uh Just trading
1: pink slips. Got it. Interesting. Interesting conversation, you guys. Yeah, it is time. It's Bulls, bears and blockchain. Twitter Spaces, Tuesday, Thursday, and a Sunday edition, five thirty Eastern time, at Get Rev Radio.
0: Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Masioli, Mark Lepresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 Finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions.